I finally got the uh, bill for our our shares on our personal lots, our taxes for 2020. As you know, we went through uh, and changed the way we're paying them so that we're adding the $50 per month uh, from now on. Uh, so it's covered instead of us having to come up with a lump sum at the end of the year. But uh, that didn't include last this year's taxes, 2020. Uh, last year, I think they were 323 or something like that, and this year they're 384. I guess the, ta the uh, county's getting more desperate and <laughs> raising taxes. Uh, some of you have already paid that, and it, uh, if it is a burden uh, to deal with, uh, I think we can cover most of it without too much problem, but if you have the wherewithal to do it, uh, the 2020 taxes on your particular lot with your house on it were 384 for this year. And then uh, I think from now on the $50 that we're adding per month to our house lease will cover probably uh, the that and hopefully most of the church property that has the hall and everything on it because it's pretty high as well. I think it's over 8000 bucks, But uh, we should have it pretty well covered. So uh, if you can uh, help with the 2020 taxes, that would be wonderful. If you can't, I understand. It's been on my mind quite a bit lately that with things going the way they are in the country, that we need to get this place as ready as we can for what is to come. And I've been taking care of some of my own rat's nests around here and getting things fiffed up and straightened up. And I think that we, I think I mentioned it a week or two ago, we need to get busy getting the church hall and some of the stuff cleaned up over there. Even the shop itself is a terrible mess and needs about nine-tenths of what's in it thrown away, I think. We need to go through all those shelves and stuff and get rid of a lot of stuff that's just there. But the hall would be first, because I don't know when we might need a little extra room. And we don't have much extra room here, so we may have to start going back over there. So my plan uh, kind of is this. Uh, I've got lots of barrels over there with wheat and rice and beans and things in them. And I'll just move them over in my hay barn and some of them have had weevils in them, and the ones that have had weevils I've used for chicken feed, and then the ones that are still good uh, we'll have here in the store in case we need it. Maybe I shouldn't be saying this on the telephone line, but uh, you have to always be aware of that these days. But there's a lot of uh, bedding and so on over there as well, and I thought if some of the you gals would uh, chip in, we've got... We could put them in the big plastic uh, garbage bags and masking tape and label what's in each one, you know, king size, twin size, whatever, and what's in it. And then we can stack them in a place where they'll be out of the way in case we need them in the future for people coming in. Uh, we've got clothing done the same way, a lot of clothing that we gathered up over the years that's over in the, uh, the shop. And probably the furniture there, uh, if there's anything some of you need other than stuff. That's, there's some personal stuff over there. 
I've got my dining set over there, for instance, that was here. <laughs> we started meeting here. I put it over there. So there's some things that are personal. Some of you have some personal things over there. But uh, if there's furniture or so on left over uh, that's there that some of you might could use or need, uh, you'll be welcome to, to have some. And then what's left we'll probably store over in the recreation room in front of the shop or something or in the workout room or wherever it works best to compact it and stack it and get it out of the way for and then it'll be there for future use as well but I want to get that that hall cleaned up and ready for use uh, besides God is not the author of confusion and that's a mess <laughs> we need uh, we need things looking better and being better and, and less confusion so uh, I don't know when would, I'd like to get started on that pretty quickly, uh, this week if possible with some of it. So if some of you can volunteer, I don't know when's the best time on a Sunday or during the week, depends on your work schedule, some of you and, and other issues in your lives, but, uh, I'd like to start moving some of that stuff. Some of the men, if you have time, maybe sometime this week, I don't know what would be a good day. We could uh, we could start moving barrels and various things out of there. There's lots of jars we gathered up years and years ago that were in these grain bins. And I want to save out the quartz for mineral water, but the pints and other stuff we could box up and store as well somewhere else. So that's, along with the clothing and everything, uh, going through those jars would be another issue and uh, and getting them taken care of. So... And the rooms upstairs need cleaned in case we need them for offices or people to stay or whatever. Uh, we need to get everything clean so it looks more godly, whether it's for use right now or not. I'd, I'd be embarrassed to take anybody in there and show them that place. So we need to we need to be godly in every way. So the sooner we can get on some of that, the better. Uh, I'll make myself available uh, this coming week from... Tomorrow on, if anybody wants has some time and wants to help, what well, would be a good day for some of you? Um, tomorrow's fine. Okay. Well, why don't we start tomorrow? We can uh, we can start. We can use the dolly and we can get some of the the heavier stuff out, the barrels and all that kind of thing. And if some of the gals could come over and start on the uh, packing up stuff. And then we can get it moved. Men can do the heavy work. And the ladies can do the packing up and organizing. And uh, I, I don't think it'll take that long to get it cleaned up. We pitch in and, and get her done. So about what? Nine, ten? Nine. Nine be fine. Okay. For those that can, and if not, maybe we can. This may this may take a little while, two, three days time we get it all done. But. Uh, I, that's been very much on my mind, and it just happens. Stuff gets done, and then oh well, let's take it over to the hall. It's and 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 I even told the county because they wanted to bill us for a commercial building, so I told them it's just a store storage room, and then I did partly what I could to make it look like one in case they examined it. But now it's it's beyond storage, and it's become a rat's nest. So. It's it's time to clean it up and not worry about the county one way or another in any case. So, yeah, about 9 tomorrow then we'll get started.
Sounds good to me. And I appreciate all that all of you do. Uh, I mean, just anybody needs help around here, it seems like there's help available. It's just, I, you, you guys are wonderful that way, and it's very much appreciated. And one thing I think that's motivating is uh, the alternative news that I'm reading the last day or two or three or four. Uh, it seems that we are exhausting or have pretty well exhausted all the opportunities for Trump to do something to try to save the republic uh, by instituting martial law or the Insurrection Act or, or Pence... Uh, disallowing the electoral votes from the states, which he could have done and didn't do. And it seems like Trump is not willing to do anything for himself to preserve the election. And I felt for quite some time that he's just one of them anyway. Uh, he's part of the Billionaires Club. And uh, his concern for this nation is not what he says it is. And I think he's proving that right now by his inaction to do anything about it. So what we're faced with, unless something, unless something at the last minute comes through, we're faced with an absolute communist takeover starting in January, January 20th to be exact. And they do entirely plan on shutting us down, having to have a certificate of vaccination to do anything. Uh, they're already saying it. You can't fly on a plane, ride on a bus, uh, or whatever. And some credit card companies are already starting to say that, uh, or not the credit card companies so much as businesses, won't accept your credit cards or let you shop unless you show your, not just wear your mask, but show your vaccination permit as you come into the store. So the crackdown toward the mark of the beast where you can't buy or sell unless you have it, is here. It's not for the future. It's here. Now, this first vaccination may not be it, but it's programming everybody to accept it and that they can't do certain things unless they have it. So we know that it will be enacted very shortly, and you can't do anything unless you've been received whatever chip it is that is the final one. But it's going to start as soon as the Democrats take over. Uh, it's already, in many respects, started. It started the first of this year, and Trump let it happen. And he also uh, underwrote the COVID thing and stood there and with Fauci and so on. And he's been behind this lockdown as well. So those people who have trusted in him are going to find out that they put their trust in the wrong place. Now, do I personally, on some level, have I liked him better than some of the others? Yeah, in some ways. But on the other hand, I've understood all along what these prophecies say, and that there's no one who's going to save this nation. God has proclaimed that it is going down, and they're not going to kill 80 or 90% of us with the vaccination. Though that's being projected by some in the alternative news. No. The Bible makes it very clear. One-third by famine and pestilence or disease. One-third 
by military, and one-third go into captivity, and a sword goes after them. So God has decreed that's the way it's going to be. So I don't care what else you read. Yeah, their goal is to kill 80-90% of the population of the earth. That's what the New World Order has in mind. That's what they want to do. And God decreed a long time ago that that's essentially what's going to happen, about 90% plus, actually over 90% of the population will be dead by the time Christ returns. I think Daniel gives us a clue. 100 million left. That's all out of 8 billion. So we've entered that time. And there's no getting around it. It's not going to slow down anymore. We're there. I've been saying that now through this year. And it's just day by day, week by week, it's progressing. So we need to be very, very aware. And there's a couple of scriptures in today's sermon that will help uh, help underline that point. So let's get into it. I'm going to Second Timothy 3. Uh, verse 16, because we've been talking about righteousness and that to define righteous, righteous or righteousness, as I've said in the last couple of sermons, is the key word is right. Uh, that's the root word of righteousness is right. And yes, righteous or righteousness is simply a state of being right. And God wants us to be right in everything. Uh, and that is what defines righteousness, is doing what's right, thinking what's right. That is what righteous is. It's not just a, a Protestant uh, religious word. It just means being right and knowing what is right and doing what is right. So let's read this verse 16. He says, All Scripture, every bit of it, is given by inspiration of God. If we understand that and follow Matthew 4.4, 4, Luke 4.4, 4, and Deuteronomy 8.7, live by every word of God. So this book is the authority. It is the playbook. It is the instruction book for human life. God was, in his love, willing to give us this book. Now, a lot of people don't look upon the Bible as an authority or as the authority. And if you don't have something to agree upon as the authority, you have no common ground. You have no capacity to agree on anything because somebody says science is right. Somebody says uh, this book is right. Somebody says that philosopher is right. And every man leans to his own judgment. And that was not a good period of time in Israel's history when they did not have anyone to lead them. But every man followed that which was right in his own eyes. And we know from Scripture that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And that particular way of living in ancient Israel led to nothing but death. And we see that happening in this world today. There's a lot of death ahead of us. Uh, just yesterday, 
They blew up a bus in Nashville, tore up an awful lot of stuff. Nobody's claimed responsibility that I know of yet, but it was an is- it was a strange thing that there was a w- an audible warning issued 15 minutes before it blew up that there was going to be an explosion, and so some people did evacuate, uh, and then it happened. Now, terrorists don't usually announce it. They want to kill as many as they can. So who was behind this and exactly what message they were trying to get across on Christmas Day, we don't yet know and may or may not ever know. But the violence has started, and it's going to get a whole lot worse. But is this the Word of God? I firmly believe it is. Firmly. You can't shake me on that. I have studied this book back and forth, forth and back now, for a lot of years. And everything I find in here fits everywhere else. I'm going to go all over the Bible today, picking out scriptures along the line of righteousness. And they all match. They all fit. They all say the same thing in different ways and different examples, but they all say the same thing. And there aren't any contradictions. It all fits together, and it was written by different men in different thousands of years. And I look at those things written two, three thousand years ago, and they fit exactly what is happening today, perfectly. With the identification of certain nations, with what's happening to them, what's happening to Israel, our nation, It's all in here. Now, we all agree on that, I think. If we didn't agree on that, we would disagree on a lot of things. Because if you don't have an authority, then ask yourself that question. Would God put man out here with a purpose for him in the future of eternal life in the kingdom of God and not give him a set of instructions without a guidebook? What kind of love would that be? So, if he is a God of love, and he is, there is something on this earth that he put here to show us what's right. You will not find anything that comes even close to this book. Nothing comes even close. So... If you believe in God, then you've got to believe in His Word. And if you believe in His Word, then you've got to do it. And that's what he says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He inspired the men who wrote it. And is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine simply means beliefs. It's profitable in what you believe. It tells you what to believe. For reproof. Correct that which you are doing which does not go along with the Scripture. So reproof is that, that is to uh, straighten you out, chasten you, reprove you. And for correction, correct your path so that you stay on the right path. You do things the right way. And for instruction in righteousness. So he says, if you'll enter into life... Righteousness is the key there in Matthew 5, 6. 
that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. So here he's telling you that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, this book is where you're going to find righteousness or the right way. You wonder, what's the right way? People get together out in the world, and one will argue this, and one will argue that, and one will say, well, anything you want to do is right, because you're you. So whatever you want to do is fine. There's a lot of that philosophy around. And a lot of it ends up in trouble. So this book here, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, is where we need to look to find out what the right way is. That's such an important point. If you want to know the right way, look in the book that explains the right way. And there is an answer in this book for everything that mankind faces. Every subject, everything that is in our lives, there's an answer to in this book. For marriage, for child rearing, for communication with God, for government, for schooling, whatever you want to name, somewhere in this book, it's addressed. And probably in a lot of places, whatever the subject might be. So let's move on then to Amos chapter 8. Amos. Here he's talking about what happened in 2017 in the summer, I do believe, when we had that eclipse and how God made a final judgment on this country and said from here forward it's going to get worse. And, of course, Ezekiel 5 through 8 tells us that it won't be as the echoing of the hills, that it's coming soon. And into 2019, I think, is a good place where we saw it begin to truly happen. And that date uh, fits as well with Isaiah 7 and the 65-year prophecy there. I think from the first time the Bilderbergers met in 1954, 65 years later, it was 2019. So it was toward the end of 2019 that this nation began to come apart so that we could never do anything together as a nation. We became masked people, each doing his own thing, hardly speaking to one another, staying six feet apart, and it has divided the country more and more and more. And now we're seeing that division become very, very deep to the point Civil war is just around the corner. Could start in January, February, real easily. So that's the context of Amos 8. And down in verse 11, he says, Behold, the days come, says the eternal God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the eternal. Now, we know there's going to be a, fa a, uh, a famine of food and water. That's very clear in other scriptures. But in addition to that, there will also be a famine of hearing the words of the eternal. So it is getting very, very hard now to find the truth of God and the words of God. 
he tells us in many scriptures that the pastors and teachers of the churches don't know the answers. That they're dumb dogs that cannot bark. I've been hearing just recently that a lot of the evangelical pastors and some from other Protestant groups are saying that everybody ought to take this vaccination. That this is God's answer to our problem. That's how stupid they are. No clue whatsoever of what's really going on. So they don't have a word from God. They don't have anything except their own imagination or their own feelings. But here he says that there will also be a famine of the word of God. Now what did Christ say? We read the scriptures. That we're to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then we went through some in John to show that he is the bread. He is the water. He is the life. So we go to him. So what he's saying here in Amos is, nobody's coming to him, and they're not finding truth. The word of God has just fallen in the street. And there's many, many scriptures to back that up and to echo it. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the eternal and shall not find it. So God has just withdrawn His Word. Uh, the Church of God is pretty much off the airwaves. And the, one, the few little groups that are doing some broadcasting aren't making any impact. Nobody's paying any attention. They're not. And they do not grasp what's happening either. United doesn't. Uh, Living doesn't. Dave Pack doesn't. Jerry Flurry doesn't. They don't know what's really going on. They don't know. The only place that is left out in verse 12 is the southwest. God began the work of God under Herbert Armstrong to send a message around the world from the southwest. He didn't do it from Oregon. That's where he began, but there was no word that went out from there, really. It was not until he got to L.A., the land of a city of merchants, as Ezekiel 17 shows, that it began to go out in power around the nation and around the world. And then that ceased. And that's when a famine really began to happen. And others have tried to revive that, and it's not worked. They haven't gotten anything going, really. But it's going to be from the southwest that it comes. That's where Zion is. Jeremiah 31 says very clearly, they'll stand on Mount Zion and proclaim the word of God. That's where it's going to come from. That's why he leaves out the southwest in verse 12. He says they'll wander from sea to sea, from ocean to ocean, and from the north, north of the land, to the east. doesn't say east to west, it just says from the north to the east, leaves out the southwest. They shall run to seek it and shall not find it. So the whole east and the north, it won't be there. But the southwest, it will be there. That's where God is going to do it. And he showed you that, and that's why you're here. And this is where it's going to happen from, is this area around Zion. It's very clear. God's going to bring his people to Zion, 
and there they will do his work around the world. So, yeah, they're running all over the country, but they're not looking because they don't know about Zion, and they don't know about Jerusalem, and they don't know this is the promised land. None of the churches of God do. They just don't know it. They still think it's over in Israel. All of them. I don't know of any that realize where it is. God has let us know so that we could come and prepare a place. That's why I want to get the hall clean. <laughs> because it's his place and it needs to be clean. It needs to be right. So Amos is just saying that this is the way that it will be. And it is. And it's getting worse day by day. Now let's go to Zephaniah. I want to add one more along these lines. Uh, because, as you know, he says that we are going to be uh, overrun, beginning of chapter 1 in Zephaniah, by the Assyrian who's going to come in and talks about it more later in the book. But the primary focus of chapter 1 is a financial crash. It says they'll just throw the gold and silver in the streets. Our money will become totally worthless, have no use whatsoever, and we're already reading and hearing that they're going to a digital currency, so the dollar bill is going to become just a worthless piece of paper. No one will want it for any reason, and if you don't have the chip in your hand or your forehead, you won't be able to buy and sell. It's the only means of commerce that will be left. So, the book of Revelation tells us that's coming. Now, it is in the works and being planned and set up behind the scenes right now. And Zephaniah tells us down here, verse 18, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the eternal's wrath, Is that where it says, uh, uh, that doesn't say where they'll throw it in the street. Maybe that's a little further up there. It says they'll build houses but not inhabit them. We're being set up right now. That's up in verse 14. We're being set up right now where people are getting behind on their mortgages because you can't repossess it during this outbreak, so-called. So they're being set up, not making their payments. And we're going to have repossessions all over the country. So they built these fine homes, and they're not going to have any money to pay the mortgages, and the big boys are going to get them all. That's the way it's going to happen. It's right, it's right here in this book. You think this isn't the instruction book? What you read right here is what's happening to us as we speak. It's happening right now. Now, what does he say down here in chapter 2 after going through and showing this crash in chapter 1? Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O nation not desired or undesirable might be better. We, having been spewed out, have been undesirable to God. So he's told us to repent and turn to him with all our hearts, and some are. And he is going to gather them soon. And that's what he's talking about here. You've been undesirable, but I'm going to make an opportunity. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to give forgiveness. So he says, 
Gather yourselves before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the eternal come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. So he's saying there's a time to gather and you need to do it before God's wrath breaks forth. Now that echoes Revelation 18, verse 2 or 3, where he says to flee out of Babylon, lest you be partakers of her sins and her plagues. So the plagues then that are mentioned in chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation, uh, military destruction and financial collapse are the two main subjects of Revelation 18. It says our merchants won't be able to trade here, or the world's merchants anymore. So they'll sit out and cry and wail in their ships because the marketplace is destroyed. That would be us, the marketplace. And the, the whole world will be deceived by pharmacaeon, pharmacy, by drugs, by a vaccine, if you will. The whole world is going to be deceived by that. We're right in the middle of it, brethren. It's here. We've been proclaiming this now for a lot of years, and now we're not just saying this is coming. It's here. And it isn't going away. Not until Christ returns. It's just going to get worse and worse until there's only a 100 million people left by the time He returns. That includes the seven last plagues and everything, but uh, Satan and the elites are going to do a great deal of it. God has always let Satan do a lot of the dirty work. God doesn't like to do the dirty work, so he turns it over to the devil, like with Job, and let him do the dirty work. He's eager. He's happy to do it. So men motivated by Satan, Luciferians, Satan worshipers. Washington, D.C. is full of them. So are the other governments of the world. Some of them quite openly now. They're going to do it. So what does he tell us? Before all this comes down, he says, Seek you the eternal, all you meek of the earth. Now, Here's Matthew 5. It says to be meek and to be humble. All you who are meek, who aren't full of ego and self, who are willing to listen, seek God. All you meek who have worked His judgment. So this is talking to people who have seen God's way and His judgment and what is coming and have sought Him. And they want to fall under his judgment, under his rulership and leadership. Those who've worked his judgment. Then he says, seek righteousness. Now he told us if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's the overall topic here, that we will be filled. So as we see this financial crash coming and we see this invasion gathering steam of the nations who are going to come against this country, he says, seek righteousness. That's what we need to be doing. Finding out the right way 
and going there. Seek meekness, another thing in Matthew 5, 6. It may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So he says, if you will do these things, it just may be that you'll be hid. He always leaves a certain contingency there on us. He doesn't make absolute total promises that don't have to do with our conduct. He always leaves it open there that I don't have to do my part if you don't do yours. We have to do our part. And then he says, if you will do your part, I swear by my holy name that I will do my part. It's like the rainbow from Noah to me there in Isaiah 54. He says he'll do it. So he's positive about it. All we have to do is be positive ourselves and do what he says. So as we see what's coming on us, coming on us, here's what we're to do. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, and then pray that we be hid from all that's coming. And he lays that out there in Zechariah 2, 1, 2, 3, saying he'll be a wall of fire around us, a defense, a covert from the heat and the rain and the chemtrails, <coughs> and everything else that they're doing, he'll protect us from it. So we need to seek righteousness. Okay, that ought to be very clear. Well, where are you going to find it? In this book. This is the book that tells you the right way to live. Put in simple, everyday terms. The right way to live. Paul called it, others called it in the New Testament, a way. The way. A way that is right as opposed to the way of the world that is wrong. So it's not just a set of beliefs. It is a way of life. The way we conduct ourselves, the way we think, has to fit this book. So if you're going to find righteousness and seek it, you have to seek God. And this book is his answers. You have questions, he has answers. Rarely does he speak to human beings anymore. He said he would, but not very much there when he talked to his disciples. And he came and he taught Paul, but he didn't do much more. So he said there won't be much of that. So what he got? So he gave us his word, inspired men to write it, so that it all fit together, and it's here for us. So if you're going to seek him and you have questions, here's where you find the answers. Every answer to every question is somewhere in here. Guaranteed. All right, let's go to Haggai 2. It's close. Now, here he's talking about his remnant that he does gather together. He mentions it there in, Zeph in Zephaniah 2, that he will gather them together and that they are to gather themselves before all this comes down. You read Jeremiah in chapter 50 there. It says that they'll be fleeing ahead of the northern army. So just before the invasion, God's people apparently are going to start gathering. And that means that it's got to be coming soon because 
the Russians and the Chinese are already moving into our nation, and then the UN will move in before long because we're going to start a civil war, says that in Jeremiah 51, ruler against ruler, violence in the land, rulers killing each other. And some of those who are apparently going to take charge here shortly have already said they're going to round up any Trump supporters and kill them. Some of them have said it openly. So we're going to have civil war in this country, rulers killing rulers, and citizens killing citizens. And it's not far off. So he says, gather yourselves ahead of this. Then coming down here in Haggai, it's talking about those who do respond and do come to build his temple. And there's a question then. Even then, there's a question asked. Because he comes to the ninth and twenty-fourth day, or the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month in verse 10 of chapter 2, and God asks, through Haggai, a question. Thus says the Eternal of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law. Now God says things haven't started happening yet to fulfill Haggai. So, I got a question for you, and I want you to ask the ministry. Here's the question. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment... And with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any food, shall it be holy? In other words, if the priest has something that is holy and it touches something else out there, does it make whatever it touches holy? And the priest answered and said, no, you can't. Touch something with holiness and expect it to become holy. You can set an example of righteousness and holiness to this world, but if you rub shoulders with them, if you touch them, is it going to make them holy? <laughs> Not a chance. If you spend too much time with them, it'll make you unholy. And that's the next question. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body, he's using Old Testament uh, rules here, where if you touch a dead body, you become unclean till sundown and so on. If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Okay, so there it is. If that which is already filthy touches something that is filthy... Or no, it's, it's, if something's... Let me read that again. Be sure I get what I'm saying right. If one is unclean, and he touches these things, the bread, the pot, is the wine, or the oil, uh, will it make it unclean? Yeah. If you're unclean, you're not what you ought to be, and you touch somebody else, your influence is going to make them unclean before God. Because wickedness is easily transmitted. <laughs> if you're wicked and you're around people, then they tend to become wicked too. You go into a bar room and get drunk and do things there you shouldn't do. If you come in there, you're not going to make them clean. 
they'll laugh at you. But if you come in there and you're already polluted, then they're all going to say, let's all get more polluted together. That's the way it works. So we're faced here with a conundrum, a problem. We need to get ourselves clean because nothing else you do is going to help. Just because you are clean and you touch those out there that aren't, it doesn't help them. And if you're unclean, that isn't going to clean anything up. So what God is really asking, the reason He's asking this question is because He wants His people to be holy and righteous and clean. And what we do is not going to influence anybody else toward that. Not going to help. God's church is going to be a light on a hill from Zion before the whole world. They will be righteous. They will be holy. They will have Christ there dwelling with them and living with them and protecting them from the world. And there are going to be people going out from there to preach holiness and righteousness to them. And it will do no good whatsoever. No one is going to repent as a result of God's Word being preached to the whole world. They will worship the beast and bow down before their chips so that they can buy and sell and eat. Even people who say today, I will never accept that because they've read Revelation, are going to when they get hungry. What about you? Well, if you don't take this vaccination, you don't get to buy food. You don't go get to go to the drugstore. Everything gets cut off. So do you want the vaccination? And you're going to have to make a choice between the kingdom of God and living another two or three or six months or a year here on this earth before they kill you anyway. That's a no-brainer, isn't it? You do what God says because he offers eternal life. It doesn't matter. Okay, they cut your drugs off. God either heals you or you die. If you trust Him in faith and don't accept the mark of the beast in its way and its unholiness, then you'll be in the kingdom of God. Now, what's the question? What's the question? You don't accept it. It doesn't matter if you're going to die that day. What is this life anyway? It's temporary. You might live 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, and you might not live a day. They may kill you before you're born or just after. They may put a shot in you and kill you right away. There have been people around the world already dying from the vaccine or having terrible allergic reactions. And I read this morning there have been a million Americans inoculated already. So this is coming like a freight train. And it won't be long, I guarantee you, until you won't be able to do anything unless you have that vaccination. So you might as well plan on not being able to go buy food or drugs or gasoline or anything. Been warning you for a long time. Are we ready? Have we prepared? 
Do you have any clue how much you eat in six months? <laughs> you know? No, God says of his people, be holy, be clean, be righteous. And it's not going to affect anybody else. They're either unclean or holy, and they're going to stay the way they are. And all but a very, very few, and God even says, seek righteousness, seek me, find me, and maybe I'll hide you. I just may do that. So he's, he's positive about it, but he doesn't give you an absolute guarantee. Because if you've got an absolute guarantee, you're not going to do nothing. You'd be just like any other Protestant out there, or Catholic. All i got to do is accept Jesus or praise Mary. And I've got her made. I'll be in heaven or the beatific vision. One of, you know, just the way it is out there. No. God always says... You do what's right, and I'll do my part. Works are important. You're not saved by your works, but they have an awful lot to do with God's judgment and His willingness to give His promises. So even to those who are here to build the temple, He says, you've got to be righteous. You've got to be clean. Why else would He bring this up here? And then once this question is answered, he says, Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Eternal. So not just the people that Haggai was addressing, but the nation are evil and filthy and rotten and ungodly. Unclean, spiritually speaking. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now, I pray you, I ask you, I beseech you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Eternal. Before you even lay a cornerstone, consider this, about the uncleanness and the clean. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, and there were but ten, when one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty, I smote you with blasting, with mildew, with hail, and all the labors of your hands, yet you turned not to me, says the Eternal. He says, here we are, this people, this nation, whether it's the church, whom he spewed out, and we started having a famine of the word in the church, which we've had for the last, since 1986, really, or the nation. Before you ever lay the stone in the temple, you better consider righteousness and holiness and meekness. So since those days were, when this trouble started coming on the church, and since those days were now, when those troubles are coming on our nation. It's already gone through the church, and only about 10% of the church is going to repent. 90% are not going to pay any attention. Only 10% are going to come to build the temple. Out of all the church, and out of all the nation, it also is wicked. And out of it, 
will only come a little less than 10% to live over into and begin the millennium. The church has to live and build the temple now. Those in our nation have to turn from evil and from the beast and turn to God in the millennium, and only less than 10% of them are going to do it. That's all that will be left. And then when Christ returns, they're going to say, I'm I actually am glad you're back. I'm glad the beast has been put away. Let's see if we can fix things. They'll have a different attitude. So God says, since all this started coming on you, you haven't turned to me. Ninety percent of the church still hasn't. There's only so many who haven't bowed the knee to Baal and who are still trying to truly keep him in the spirit that he intends. So he says, consider now from this day and upward, from the fourth, 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Have the blessings come? No. But from that day forward, you're going to start seeing the vine and the fig and the pomegranate and the olive tree bring forth. I'll bless you from that day. I think he's probably talking about the ninth and 24th of this coming year, which is, since I have the calendar right here, the 28th of December. Didn't happen this year. It's talking about the blessings of building the temple. So before the foundation stones are laid, and they haven't been laid yet, other than spiritually uh, a little bit, but not physically, we have to get straightened out. We have to turn to God. And he'll start blessing us with those blessings needed to build the temple. The land, the silver and the gold, the wherewithal, everything we need to build the temple, he's going to start blessing us from the 9th and 24th. And the way things are looking, I think that probably has to be this coming one next December. Meantime, there's going to be a lot of hell on earth between now and then. And a people gather. Because this thing is on the doorstep. It isn't just on the doorstep. It's already invaded the house. Our, our government is full of communists. Our state governments, our city governments are full of communists. It's got us by the throat. We're not free anymore. It's already here. You're not free to move around the country without a mask on and standing six feet apart. Your freedoms have been taken away. They're gone. And now, they'll be restricted even more if you don't have the vaccine. To the point where you can't do anything without it. And if you take it, you're well on your way to accepting the mark of the beast. So, food, water, drugs, whatever you need... Got to turn it down. Got to turn it down. I will not take it. Not going to take it. If I have to stay home, I got food and water right here. If I had to lock the gate, I could do that too. I don't know how else to put it, brethren. It's here. I think you know it. If you're paying any attention to what's going on, you know it. But I have to emphasize it, and I have to show that if we're going to 
be filled, we have to seek righteousness. So whether it's Amos or Zephaniah or Haggai or wherever you want to go throughout this entire book, you'll find the same message there. So let's move on down uh, to 1 John 3. Back in the New Testament, 1 John 3. I want to finish up this section today. 1 John 3 and verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loves not his brother. So he says, you either love your brother, or you're not of God. You also do righteousness, or you are not of God. So we have to be doing the right things. And the right things are his Sabbaths, his holy days, keeping his Ten Commandments, and treating our neighbor with love by keeping those commandments, because that's what they are. Those ten are reduced to two in summary. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. And nobody seems to be able to achieve it. Not completely. Not perfectly. Because loving God with all your heart, it's really hard to put Him ahead of yourself. Well, I want to do this, or I want to think that, or I want to go there. I want to do this. But God says, don't do it that way. Oh, now i got a problem. i got to say no to me and yes to God. That's hard for us to do. So we fight a struggle every day of our lives. And loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself... Do you put your neighbor on the same level as you are and treat them the way you want to be treated? Oh, we can get so incensed and so angry and so offended if our neighbor does something that we don't like to us or even says something we don't like about us. Oh, we can get so angry. And yet we'll turn around and say the same thing about him. You know, if the shoe fits, we got to wear it. Yeah, those are real simple sayings. Love God and love your neighbor. But mighty, mighty hard to fulfill. But we got to work at it every day. Every day we got to work at it. Do the best we can. And then ask God for mercy and forgiveness for where we failed and work harder at it the next day. Ephesians 4. And here I want uh, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, did I write down the wrong place here? What am I looking for? Maybe I was wanted to start a little bit above that, about the attitude, yeah. Verse 2, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, 
forbearing one another in love, which is what we just read in 1 John. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, so that all of us are unified by the Spirit of God, and we have a bond of peace among us, loving our neighbor as ourselves. With those attitudes. Now, there's no room for ego, for self, for those attitudes. Meekness and love and patience with one another. Philippians 3. My eyes are watering. I can barely read what I'm doing. Philippians 3 and verse 9. And be found in him, speaking of Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, there were a lot of people who had the law, the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, and they thought that they could attain salvation by keeping the law. Now, God had promised them if they would keep the law, He would bless them physically, but He never really offered them salvation. So, here we come to people who are wanting salvation. They're seeing it promised, and the only way that they have learned to think is that if I keep the law, I automatically get salvation. Now, what they're overlooking is that the penalty of the law is death. And every one of us has sinned and come short of the law. So it only takes one sin to cause death. Just one. That's all. And every one of us probably commit more than one sin a day, whether it's in deed or just in thought, or not having a thought we ought to have, <laughs> the sin of omittance. Omitting to do what we ought to do. So how are you going to be saved if one sin's going to kill you? You can't live the law and say, well, God, you got to give me eternal life because I've been keeping the law. Well, you didn't keep it perfectly. If you had, he'd have to give you salvation. If you'd never sinned, never done anything wrong, he would have to give you eternal salvation. But none of us can plead that. None of us are in a position to say, I've never done anything wrong. That's a lie right there. <laughs> That's a law. So you can't earn salvation. It has to be through faith that Christ's sacrifice covers your sins. You have to believe that there is a God, and you have to believe He wants to give us eternal life. It is His good pleasure to give us the kingdom. That's what He says. His good pleasure. That's what He wants to do. He really wants to do that. So we know His attitude. And then we come to Him and we say, I know you're there. I believe you're there. That's the first thing you've got to do is believe there is a God. If you don't believe there's a God, what are you going to stand on? What do you look to? Can you go up to Kai Bab and find yourself a pine tree and say, Give me eternal life, O great pine tree. 
That's not going to do you much good. There's nowhere you can go except to the Creator. And how do you find Him? Now, Romans 1 tells us that you see Him through the creation. That's how you know that there is a Creator, is when you look at what's been created. Because it can't be there unless somebody made it. I got a lamp right here. Now, I have absolute confidence that somebody made this. I have absolute confidence that it was in China. Well, maybe I'll have a look, to be sure. It might have been Taiwan. But I know that if it's there, it got made. It didn't make itself out of slime from the sea. Somebody figured it out and manufactured it. And I look at this earth, and I look at our bodies, so fearfully and wonderfully made, and I know somebody had to make it. Now, when I first saw this land, where we're sitting today, there was nothing on it but rabbit brush and sage and a little grass, not even a goat head or a foxtail. I don't think there were even any tumbleweeds on this property when I first saw it in 2002. Now there's stuff all over it. How to get here? Well, most of us built what's here. And it wouldn't be here if we hadn't done it. And we wouldn't have foxtails and goat heads and tumbleweeds if we hadn't brought them here on our tires and in hay bales and in the ways that it got here because they weren't here when we got here. So somebody had to do it. I'm partially responsible for it. I bought hay that had foxtails in it and goat heads in it. And we spread them all around with our tires. If there's a world, and if there's us, somebody had to make us. It's just that simple. So it had to be somebody who's bigger than we are, who's smarter than we are, who has the capacity. Now, if you think you're pretty smart, I'll give you an assignment. By next Saturday, would you please make me a human being from scratch? Just, just one. <laughs> just make me one. Or some animal I've never seen before. You, you figure you out a blueprint, and you gather whatever you can find, and you make it, and you make it alive, and bring it to me. Now, we all know that's stupid. So we know there has to be a creator. There just does. So what is required? That kind of faith where we know there is a God. And we know He has offered us eternal life. We have no doubt of that. We know it. We know His plan and His purpose. I think all of you believe that. You know there is a God and He has a plan. The only issue in your mind is are you going to be a part of that plan? That's the only issue left to decide. Now, He's called you. He's given you His truth. 
He's led you to understand, and now all you have to believe is that if you follow through and do your part, he's going to save you. So it is by grace of God, grace means love and forgiveness that you don't deserve. By the grace of God, coupled with your belief in him, is how you get saved from eternal death and be given eternal life. Now, where were we here in chapter 3, verse 9? Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. That's what the Pharisees claimed. Well, I've kept the law, so I'm righteous. Well, they hadn't kept it perfectly, so they weren't always right. They weren't always righteous, right? And Christ even told them they didn't keep it near as well as they thought they did. And they're hypocrites. So he says, that's not going to get you the golden apple. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We do the right things because we believe there is a God who can and will confer eternal righteousness and peace upon us. That's the method. Got to believe it. Got to believe Him. And then do the right things. And it's guaranteed because that's what He wants to do. He's just so willing. If we will just cooperate. That's all we got to do is cooperate with him and it'll happen. They will be filled. Let's go to Ephesians 6 here. He's telling us here in verse 12, or verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand Satan and his wiles and all the things that he would do to us. We have to have armor from God because Satan is bigger and stronger than we are. Look at the world and how much influence Satan has on everything that's going on. Murder, violence, uh, Divorce, abortion, look at all the things he causes people do to cause all those things. Bad science, bad food, bad health, death, disease. Everything in this world basically is run by Satan. He's the prince of the power of the air and the present ruler of this world. And everything you see out there is stuff he's doing. And people are following along and doing his way. So, he says to put on the whole armor of God so that you don't do the things that Satan wants you to do and fall prey to him. And then he explains that. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our, our battle is not against humans. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is the highest place of wickedness and his demons. And then second on the wickedness list is those people that he influences who rule over us. God said he sets over the countries, the nations, the basest of men. 
That's why we have a Washington, D.C. full of pedophiles and murderers and adulterers and everything else you can name that is bad. Abortionists. Thieves. Stealing American money and taking bribes from the communists. And now they're owned by the Communist Party, Republicans and Democrats. And they're doing the will of Communist China. And that's what you're going to see unleashed on us when they have the power to do it. So that's the wickedness we fight. And they'll have you taking the mark of the beast, and Satan is the ultimate beast, if you don't take their vaccinations. Whether they inject poison in you or inject a chip in you, it's the same thing. Wherefore? Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We've got to stand against it. We can't give in to it. And you've got to have the armor of God in order to stand against it. Stand, therefore. Come boldly to the throne of grace, as he says in uh, Hebrews. Don't fall in a fetal position and say, oh, poor me. No, stand. Having your loins girt about with truth. You have to worship in spirit and in truth, John 4, 24. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And righteousness is the breastplate in our armor against Satan. Now, what does the breastplate cover? Your heart, your lungs. Can't live without those. If you don't have righteousness, your vital organs are subject to Satan. Righteousness is what protects you. Because God says if you're righteous, he will protect you. And you can stand against Satan. So righteousness is a key ingredient, then, of being what God wants us to be. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And taking the shield, above all, taking the shield of faith. (coughs) By grace are you saved through faith. Faith becomes so very important when the world says, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do something else. We're going to kill you if you don't take this vaccine, because you're a danger to the rest of society. Okay. So either turn me loose or kill me. you got to stand. you got to stand against Satan and what's going on. Therefore, you have to have faith that God will take care of you one way or the other. And even if they do kill you, he's still going to take care of you. Is Peter, is James, is John, is Paul taken care of? They killed every every one of them but John. But not one hair of their head is hurt or hindered. Because they're going to be resurrected in the fullness of the Spirit. So they're taken care of. You know, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice... If they lined us all up out here, and they had a bunch of guys with guns, 
And they said, all right now, you either accept this vaccine or you're going to die. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Think about it. That would be a wonderful thing if it were to happen. Because you, all you have to say is no and get shot, and you stood in faith, and your salvation is assured. How can you get any better than that? Huh? How can it get any better than that? All you have to do is say no, and you're in the kingdom of God, next second of consciousness. Now, I don't necessarily want that to happen, because I'd like to live a little longer. But isn't that what those apostles faced? You either accept our way, and you shut up about that Jesus Christ guy, or we're going to hang you upside down, or boil you in oil, or whatever they decided to do to them. And they said, okay, I'm going to preach Christ. Okay, hang him. Isn't that what I just described? It's what happened. And every one of them is going to be in the kingdom of God. All you got to do is say no. You say yes, and you get to live another day or a month or another three months or whatever before they decide to kill you anyway. You really think once the Russians and the Chinese come in here, that all these people that have sold them secrets like the Clintons and the Pelosi's and the, the A.O. crazies and all these people who've consorted with them and taken money from them in order to enrich themselves and to sell us out. It says in Jeremiah 15:51 that our leaders will give their hand. They'll agree to sell us out. Okay, they've sold us out. The communists are coming. They're coming. We've been sold out. Now, do you think once those people get here that they're going to pat all these people who betrayed us on the head and say, nice job, well done? No, they're going to kill them. They hate traitors. They hate liars. They figure if you betrayed your people to us, you'd betray us too. You're worthless. Bang. You know what's going to happen to all these people? I could name a lot more names than that. If they live that long, those who take over this country are going to kill them. Just that simple. So if you've been a Christian and you say, no, I won't take your vaccine, something else is going to come up. Because God's already said, He's going to kill a third of us, a third will die of famine and pestilence, and a third will die, most of them, in captivity when the sword comes after them. So if you say, yes, I need my food, I need my drugs, I need my gasoline, I need my whatever, so I'll take your vaccine or I'll take your chip, you're going to die anyway. And you're going to miss out on the kingdom of God. Because you took Satan's way instead of God's way. So, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And live in faith that if you obey God instead of Satan and the beast, that you will live. 
and he just may hide you from all this trouble that's coming. We read that in Zephaniah 2. Well, I've got some more scriptures here. I'll decide whether to cover them later or just say that's enough on this particular topic and and go on to what he has next for us in Matthew 5. But uh, I think a lot said in these scriptures today is that this thing is on us, and he gives us warnings, and he says, come out from her and to be righteous and do what's right, and he will take care of us. <coughs> so decision time is not far off. And we need to be sure that we're prepared to stand in faith before God and not knuckle under to the powers that be that are coming after us already and very shortly in an even more direct way. So, we've been warned. Now we need to perform. Now we need to stand in faith and trust God and know that He's on our side. <laughs>